Hi, everybody. This is Dr. Eric Corum, founder of AIM7. Welcome back to The Blueprint, where we distill cutting-edge science, leadership, and life skills into simple tactics optimized for your busy lifestyle and goals. Today, I'm joined by Ryan Adams, an award-winning Houston real estate expert that is a shooting star in his field and a very close friend. I asked Ryan to come on the show today to share his story because I knew this guy for like five years, but I didn't know his origin story. When I heard it, I then knew why he was one of the hardest workers in the room, and I had to share this story with you. Look, elite is elite. It doesn't matter if you're a musician, a school teacher, a parent, a Super Bowl winning football coach, or a real estate agent. The best are the best for a reason. Today, you're going to hear from one of the finest human beings and business people that I know. We're going to talk about how to turn up your work ethic, cultivating potential, and how developing talent stems from doing small and simple things with relentless effort. From humble beginnings, Ryan sheds light on overcoming challenges, exceeding expectations, and how helping others improve is the true definition of success. But before we get started with Ryan's story, AIM7 is here and people are loving it. AIM7 is the easiest way to turn your wearable data into life-changing recommendations for your mind, body, and recovery to help you look, feel, and perform better. Sign up now at aim7.com, the link is in the show notes, and you'll get access to our beta app, four Zoom calls with me and my team to discuss habit building, adaptive capacity, and so much more. Sign up now and make sure to note that you are a Blueprint podcast listener when you sign up and we'll prioritize your registration. Each cohort has a limited number of spots. That means we only bring in a small number of people at a time. And we're doing this to bring you the best experience possible. So the next cohort's beginning really soon, so grab your spot today. All right, now to my conversation with Ryan. So let's lean in and learn from the best. Ryan, you are one of the hardest workers that I know. You and I instantly bonded, I think for a lot of reasons, faith, family. I've known your wife for a very long time, going back to college. We quickly, I think, both realized that we have a a common love for being an entrepreneur and also just putting in the work. Where did you develop this work ethic? It was honestly the growing up. I mean, I came from a, my mom and I moved in with my grandparents and my grandpa was a World War II veteran, was in the war in World War II and just very old school. And he, I mean, he's a super smart guy. Could have been very white collar in a sense, but he's very blue collar. And we learned that when I was growing up, it's like, you do the work, whatever it is, you don't hire out work. So I remember when I was a kid, like I'd wake up on, I mean, I, I'm trying to remember how early this was, but like at least seven, eight years old, wake up on a Saturday morning at 6am and we would chop wood in the summer to get ready for the winter. Cause I grew up in Virginia and snow would come and whatever we did our own wood. He had his own garden. He didn't have to have all this stuff too, but he just chose to do it. And so I saw that. I saw how my mom worked to raise me as a single mom. And so that instilled in me, like, this is what you got to do. The other part of it was that I, I it's part of my personality, just like I'm a high energy guy. And it's a way for me to kind of release that energy is just working hard. Is the reason you work hard because it's innate or is there something else that drives you? That's a good question. I think it's a little bit of both. Again, I've got a lot of energy. I'm a visionary type of guy. So if I see something and I want something, I'm going to try and do whatever I can to make it happen. Till, till I've crossed every, every T, dotted every I, gave my full best, I'm going to try it. And then if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. And Have you so ever I, failed at something that you were going after? Lots of things. Give me an example. There's been a lot of things. I'm trying to think exactly what's one particular thing that I failed at. Um, come back to that. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's funny for me to say, have you failed anything? You're like, I failed a lot of things. I'm like, yes. 
I just don't remember them. Like, it's yeah. like I, my mindset though, too, is like, once I fail at it, I'm moving on. Like mm. I, and Lauren, you don't dwell on, no, I don't, I, I don't dwell on failures. Like, I mean, it, a day, if it's something really big, it may last a little bit longer for the most part. I mean, once it's happened, I just, I've got to go into the next thing. Cause that's, I mean, that's how I really am. It's like, whatever my next thing is, I'm putting in a hundred percent toward going after that. You kind of glossed over your childhood a little bit. Yeah. I think there's a little bit more to that. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, single mom, right? She worked really hard. Yes. So that you could go to private school. Right. I think you told me once that you were dropped off in the morning at like a gas station. Yes. And that you would hang out like at a phone booth when uh, it would get cold. Uh, yes. Tell, it, talk about this. So my, my mom had to be at work at like, and she really wanted me to have a private education, Christian education. Mm -hmm. uh, we lived in a town called Appomattox, which was like a really rural, it, it's where the civil war ended. I mean, it's a very blue collar neighborhood in the closest town was Lynchburg, Virginia, which was about 30 minute drive. She didn't have time to get me to there. So I had an uncle that drove to Lynchburg every day, but he left at about five in the morning. So the way it worked for me to go there and they didn't have bus service that would come all the way to 30 minutes away to Appomattox, pick you up and drive you back. So he would take me to this. They brought the bus to this gas station and they picked you up about, I think it was like 745. And my mom was working by, I mean, she was at work by like 645 every day. And that, man, what did she do? There's a huge furniture company called Thomasville Furniture, which is, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's very nice furniture. And so she was part of like the inspection team of like helping figure out if it's good, if it's bad, did it work, did it not work, whatever. So I would go to this guy, uh, he dropped me off probably, I think from, it, and this is me remembering it because I did this probably from like third grade on so I could drive. He would drive me off this little gas station, Bighorn Market. I remember it was halfway between uh, Appomattox, Lynchburg, and Concord, Virginia. And I remember getting there, and it was freezing cold sometimes, and the store didn't open till 7. So I would wait an hour. It was, it was good until the cold months came. And yeah. then they had a little phone booth. And so I remember getting in the phone booth to block the wind and the snow or whatever it was. But what was really cool there is I met a lot of like as a third grader. And I'm like thinking, could I, could you imagine this today? Like dropping off like jacks at, <laughs> a, at a, at a uh, market or gas station and be like, Hey, just chill here to the bus gets here. I can't believe, but it was kind of different day and age, but I met so many people. They began to know me like the people that worked at the gas station. There was this guy, Johnny, and he was an older black guy. And he came in every morning to, he was the first guy there. He opened it up and he cleaned all the floors like he cleaned and, and like mopped the floors. And, and I would always just go in and just help him do it because there's nothing else to do. And I knew that guy like I mean, we had, he told me all the stories of his life every day. And I, would, and I didn't know what I was doing then. But for me, that was like like I look back at it now and it was like a hard time. But it was also like learning time. Like yeah. there's a lot of good, great lessons that came out of that. So you were up at four something in the morning. No, I don't remember. I remember just barely rolling out of bed, grabbing my book bag and hopping in the uh, truck with my wow. uncle. So let's just, I mean, things weren't easy growing up. No, no. Okay. Work was just part of your life. When I look back on it now, yeah, it looks way worse than when it was when I was a kid. When I was a kid, that's all you knew. Right. It just was life. Yeah. But now you look back, was there, people talk about, about trauma, right? But traumatic growth is a real thing. Right. Where you have to overcome difficulty and people that go through trauma, you know, you don't want to go through it at the time, but research demonstrates that if you actually have something going on in your life and you have taken steps to overcome that, that's where resilience is created. Do you think, I'm not saying that any of that was traumatic, but I'm sure that 
things as a child were difficult. Do you think that kind of set the stage for your perception of work now? Yes, I think it set the stage of like, I remember being in high school and I had to, my mom could not afford to buy me a car or insurance or whatever. And I remember going to get a job at Wendy's was my first job and I was flipping hamburgers and I would go from basketball practice to do a four hour shift at night. And I would do five of them so that I could have enough money to have car and insurance. The first car I ever bought was a Pontiac Sunbird. It was like a 19, 1970s or 80s Sunbird. And I had it for a week. And then the motor oh. like went out. I'd saved up all this money to do it. And that's hard stuff. I mean, I look back on it now. I'm like, man, that's really hard stuff. Would I do that today? I'm not really sure. But I think that trained me that like, man, from all from here, it's uphill. Like, mm. I, like I'm not flipping hamburgers. I'm not sitting at a gas station, I can make it happen. So it's really difficult for me when I hear today's generation complain about work ethic and that's too much work. And for me, like the true reality is I probably don't have a very healthy balance of work and rest. I mean, we've talked about that before. You and I both struggle (laughs) with the same thing. We could just go. Right. And sometimes somebody needs to tap you on the shoulder and say, it's time to stop. Right. And fortunately, the number one person who has to do that for me is my wife. Yeah. I wish it wasn't. She's such a sweet person. (laughs) And she does it in such a great way. And she's so supportive and helps me. She knows my drive and all that stuff. But part of it is that it's hard for me to look at that because like when people are like, I'm not hitting my goals or I'm not doing this or not doing that. I'm like, I mean, you've got all the opportunities. I mean, you're stopping yourself, but am I the most healthy balanced person? Probably not. And I always lean that way. The good part is I, I always know I need more rest than work. I don't think anybody would ever, argue my work ethic for the most part. I wasn't planning on asking this, but like ideal world, is there a time where you, you see yourself in the future wanting to rest more? Like if you hit a certain point where you would be like, I would like to dial it back and shift. Yes. I've talked to like Lauren has asked me that question before. Like when do you think we would ever retire? Like not, not work. <laughs> she's like, looking like, at the long like, run. She's like, like truly retire or like when is enough enough? Yeah, you know, yeah. cause then like in my business, there really is no ceiling. You can work yourself to death and you can work and make a ton of money if you want. There's no ceiling. But at some point you kind of go like, hey, we're good. That's the hard part for me. And I was in an industry before, like working with Young Life, where my salary was controlled. And then it was like when I got into kind of the real world business wise, the ceiling was like, there's no ceiling. So then it was like, no matter how hard you, you can work as hard as you want and you can make as much money as you want. But I think like ideally one day I picture myself living somewhere with mountains and being able to wake up and not have something that I have to do, but I'll always probably have something that I'm playing with in a sense, Mm -hmm. just that it's not taking my entire day. Has there ever been a time where you almost quit? I quit in, quit my job, quit work, quit, quit anything. Uh, yeah, I've quit things before just because I, I realized it wasn't working out or that's smart quitting by the way. Yeah. Do you find it hard when something's not working out to cut the cord or do you see like, Is it easy for you to go, you know what, sunk costs, move forward? You know, the thing that I feel like I actually probably don't quit enough is probably relationships that I should. I'm a very loyal, devoted person. I think that goes back to childhood stuff too. And so even if I'm in an unhealthy relationship, I've always had a hard time. I'll give, if you want something, I'll try and give the best that I can. And it's hard for me to, it is hard for me to give up on stuff. But yeah, I mean, I've quit things. It's just for probably the average person, it probably takes me a little bit longer. I had uh, Annie Duke on the show. The poker player? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So we did a three-part series on her book called Quit. And she's a decision-making strategist. She won the World Series of Poker. And she talked about how quitting is a skill. Yeah. And the faster you can quit, 
the better off you are. Not like people grit and quit are the same thing. And people are like, well, you got to work through hard things. Right. But if the signal is there that this is a failing venture and let's say you sunk a hundred thousand dollars into it and this, it's not going to work out. Don't sink another five hundred thousand dollars into it. You know the story of Slack? I don't. Hmm. So Slack is, a, I don't know, I think they sold to a sales like the app. Yeah. yeah well, our team uses it. Yeah. It sold to Salesforce for, I think, twenty five billion dollars. Uh, that started as a video game company. Wow. And it was actually the, the, the founder's second go at this, yeah. trying to create this infinite video game. And he had just raised all this money and had big time investors. And he woke up in the middle of the night and was like, this is not going to work. So he's like, I'm going to quit. We're going to close this thing down. Well, as they were closing it down, there was this internal messaging system they had. And the acronym for it was Slack. It, I can't remember what it was. But he's like, oh, let's try to turn that into a product. But if he hadn't quit the one thing, he never would have found the other thing. Right. And so anyways, that's kind of going down the rabbit hole on quitting. But I don't think quitting is a bad thing all the time. Oh, for sure. I think actually if, if there's one thing I could grow in, it's mm-hmm. learning what to quit soon. Because you got your hands on a lot of things. Yes. When I, <laughs> yes, I do. I'm not trying to say yeah. you need to quit something. Because when I think about like my energy, yeah. I have it's way easier for me to start something and even invest financially into something than it is for me to go sustain it. Well, not just sustain it, but to go, all right, this isn't working because in my mind, I'm like, all right, I've already invested this amount of time or energy or money. Do I really want to give up on this? But that's a harder decision to me than going, Oh, here's an opportunity. Let me, let me go do it. Okay, cool. Let's go give it a try. I don't know. It's what I don't know, you know? Mm -hmm. So then it ends up spreading you really thin. Correct. There's something in my mind right now that I know that I have to quit. Uh, And it's not a habit or something. It's something I started a couple of years ago and it's just not working and I need to just cut the cord. Okay. When I say this, like Ryan, you're not Grant Cardone. I thank God. Yes. (laughs) He's there's a lot of things that Grant does that I'm like, Good, yeah. good job. But like, you know, you don't have a airplane, you know, we're not in your tarmac right now. By the way, I read his book 10 X about four years ago mm-hmm. and I'm a high energy person. I was exhausted after reading that book. <laughs> I was like, this is not sustainable. Like you can't 10 X everything in your life. Like I just 10 X. All right. If you're an agent and you've got to call 10 people a day, you can't call a hundred people a day and do that sustainably and not die out of energy. I mean, I feel like there has to be steps. If right. that makes sense. Well, you need to become a force multiplier yes. and duplicate yourself Correct. and duplicate the good people on your team. And I think that's how you 10 X. Right. But what I'm trying to say is, I don't know if he's a billionaire or not, but you're not a billionaire. You're successful in my eyes for a lot of reasons. But what do you, you think is, you know, you, you left the ministry, what, six years ago, seven years ago? I'm in my, yeah. So about six years ago. Yeah. So we met, you had just come out of the ministry. You started this real estate thing. We met kind of during that time. And I'll just be honest, like I know kind of some of the backstory. You really mortgaged a lot of things. Yeah. Like right. I'm betting on myself. Right. And then I go to Virginia, come back, and now you've got this successful company. And it's growing, right? Right. Success is a moving target. Sure. I kind of, now we flip roles. (laughs) So what do you say has been the key to your success? I think one is, it's kind of what you said is, if I was going to take a gamble on something, I really was taking more gamble on my possibilities and my potential and my work ethic. That's what I was like. I think I can work. You know, I saw enough of what other real estate teams had done and my experience with real estate agents and whatever that I was like, I think I can make this happen. My end goal was not like, Hey, I want to be, I mean, I want to be a great real estate agent. My end goal was like, I'm, I'm a team builder. That's what I really enjoy doing because I actually joined a team the first my, when I was in real estate and we sold your house. I mean, that yeah. was, I was on a team and I even told him, I go, Hey, I love this. I'm here to learn. I'm gonna give you a hundred percent. 
But at some point, I enjoy more of helping other people get to the next level than I actually enjoy necessarily just my individual production. So what's taken that there is just like continually trying to grow in every possible way of my life I can. So if it's like, if I need to be better in this particular area, I'm going to search out research, people, advice, mentorship on how to do that. Knowledge, building the skills, continually grow through that. Secondly, for me, it has been, and actually interesting on my, my podcast, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I feel like this is, John described what makes a good salesperson, whatever you're doing. It's like someone who genuinely delivers value and wants the best for that other person. And I genuinely have that in my heart. Like I want the best for every person. What's funny though, is you find out sometimes what you think is the best for someone may not be the best for them. Right. But kids too. Right. But I've learned that if I do that, that success has, has come. Like if I go, Hey, I'm going to give you the best of what I've got. I'm going to give you everything I got. And then usually that produces my clients have seen that. And then that has worked. And then the other part I would say is just like building into people and, and which is kind of the same thing, whether it's my clients or agents on my team or staff, my goal is to help you become better, which in general will help the team become better. I love that. So what does the word or the term high performance mean to you? It's a good question. When I first hear it, it to me, it's like doing everything that you have the capability, the knowledge of to take, whether it's your team or yourself or your company or whatever it might be to the next level. Mm. That's what it is. And taking all that knowledge and not just wasting it, but taking that knowledge and actually acting upon it. I think the biggest thing is like a lot of us, I have a lot of friends that read a lot of business books <laughs> and read a lot of like stuff, but a lot of those guys just don't act on it. I mean, even just take one nugget out of a book. I mean, I was like, why do you, why read a book? Mm-hmm. Why listen to a podcast? Why watch a, a YouTube if you're not actually gonna take any action on it? So I think for me, it's like actually taking the knowledge you get and acting on it some way or another. My problem is I feel like I take in a lot of information and then I want to do a lot of action. And I've starting to learn like it's better for me to do fewer things at a more high quality level. Yeah, do fewer things better. Right. What are the things that you do to sustain that output? I know you said you need to rest more, but I don't know if it's behavioral habits, if it's ways that you pour into yourself. What what are you doing to continue to sustain? Because this has now been six years you've yeah. been at this to continue to keep putting out. Just like kind of where I get my energy or where I. Well, yeah. What are the things that I mean, like any leader has to have ways that they're filling their tank. It could be intellectually. It could be physically. It could be emotionally, spiritually. Like what do you do to fill the tank? So and I was listening to your podcast maybe a month ago about the uh, gosh, I forget the topic was, but basically like how do you rest? Yeah. And I asked you that question. I was like, Oh, slow down to speed up. Yeah. Slow down to speed up. Uh, I was like, I feel like I'm really good at like taking chunks of rest. So like I've got a trip planned to go to Florida with the kids in January. And like that gives me, let me work really hard till I get to there. And then we've got a, a trip lined up for the summer, work really hard to get to there. Same things like, you know, I've got a fly fishing trip. I'm going to go to in a, two weeks for a day, but that one day I'm like, I can work really hard. So I've learned to like rest in chunks. My problem is figuring out how to rest each day really well mm. or during the work week. The other part is just like, I try to always surround myself with people that are better than me from my viewpoint, because then that, I feel like they always pull me. And I feel like if I was to look at my life history, I've been really blessed that I've always been around and maybe that's by God's design. I've always been around people who I feel like have filled gaps in my life that I wouldn't have got had I had a, whether it was a father or whatever. And I just try to be around those people as much as possible. I really pursue people that are years ahead of me in experience or age. 
It makes a lot of sense because whether it's a coach that I've been around, whether it's a leader in business, whether you're leading your family, you can only put out for so long. Right. And if you're not putting back in, you're going to peter out. And that's one of the things that I've always been since I've known you, I've been amazed at is like the production is through the roof. <laughs> and I, I know things we're not going to talk about on here about the other things that you got going on. It's like, how in the world do you do that? But it makes sense, too. I think you have to look at the arc of somebody's life. It's just not like like one day you turn it on. It's training. And I think your childhood, when I heard some of these stories, I'm like, oh, his hands were already calloused. Right. You had already had the reps in the tank. And so I really admire that. For people that want to follow you, learn more about you, where can they find you, Ryan? I'm on Instagram at the Adams Group TX. I'm on, you can find me on Facebook. YouTube, we have a YouTube channel. Just look up Ryan Adams Houston. You'd find it. I don't in your know. podcast? The Closing Table with Ryan Adams. Yeah. Yep. And you're on that. So Yeah, I'm on that. And you really do have... If you want to follow somebody that does real estate, that's also pretty funny. It's, it's really good. <laughs> I, good I, try to make it, I try to make it entertaining. You know, actually, one thing I was going to tell you was it was really revealing for me last week, per my childhood, what you said was I was on a call last week. I meet with all the agents on our team every morning at 9 a.m. And we're always kind of talking about problem solving, difficulty. How do we have conversations with clients, whatever. And one of the agents was like, you just seem like every client you get, you get them across the finish line or whatever. And I was like, I have this and this salesperson doesn't have it. And they're trying to figure out how do I get that skill? And it's really hard to teach that. But I was like, how did I get this? And then it all of a sudden clicked me. It was like, I'm really good at problem solving. So when I was a kid, I would want something or something to happen. And based on my circumstances, a lot of the times I couldn't make that happen. I remember I was like six years old. I wanted a Nintendo. Remember the old Nintendo, yeah, like yeah. gray and had Mario or whatever. <laughs> the rectangle du controller. And Duck Hunt. Remember yeah, that? Yeah, and that yeah. game was okay. So I wanted that. And went to my mom. Hey, can I get this for Christmas? She's like, we can't afford it. I think they were like 150 bucks then. And so then I remember it wasn't just like, oh, we can't afford it. I'm not going to do it. I went and I raked the leaves when I asked people from neighbors. I like, I remember still in the stack of visualize putting dollars, like literally a dollar in a jar and continuing to do that. And then ask my mom every week, how much is in the jar? How much is in the jar? Till I got the amount where I could buy it. And I finally bought it. Basically my entire life, that's what I've been doing is basically I want something and then it's just figuring out until you have to quit it, I'm going to do whatever it takes. And I think that's in sales that has really helped me out is that I can go, all right, here's a client. Here's what they want. I'm just not going to let a deal fall apart. I'm going to problem solve it to death to make sure they get their goal. And I don't know how you teach that, but part of it is just the experience that I've had. So it's probably just kind of pushing through that experience. So. I love this analogy of just put $1 in at a time. Yeah, exactly. Keep chopping. I don't know if you read the book, Chop Wood, Carry Water. Uh -uh. Phenomenal book. It's about the process of attaining excellence. And it's a great book that you can give your kids kind of when they're a teenager. It's about this guy that wants to be a samurai archer. Yeah. And the whole story is like he goes to the master and the master's like chop wood, carry water. And this thing lasts forever. But it's an amazing story. But that's what it is. It's like, OK, you're going to take one swing, another swing, another swing. And you keep doing that over time, as long as you're heading in the right direction. Right. Yeah. You're going to finally get there. But I think sometimes, you know, we talk about the skill of quitting, but sometimes there is when you know you're on the right track, you just got to keep going. The book that has probably been the most impactful for me recently has been by Darren Hardy called The Compound Effect. Hmm. He's basically like practice doing the same thing, even if it's very little, every single day. It's way more important than put a lot of time and effort and do it two, three times and then quit. For instance, his deal was he, he actually, man, one really cool story he told was about these guys that were trying to three different guys. One guy 
they were in different work environments. All three guys were married. One guy, he went home and he like took out alcohol and he said, do it for 30 days. He took out the next guy. He ate one less meal and one guy did nothing. Basically dramatic stories for the one guy who actually stuck with it and just did a little bit. He had, instead of having two drinks, he had one drink or whatever it was. I can't remember. And I've learned that if I can just do something a little bit, consistently every single day, the growth, it compounds. And so right. it's behaviors. It's yeah. like when you want to, when to start a new habit or people are like, I want to lose X amount of weight. What is the smallest action that you can consistently take? So if it's like, you got to do cold outreach, can I do five emails a day? Right. So I think, was it you that told me about the full focus planner? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so, Hyatt, yeah. yeah so I, I, my three things every day, like what yeah. are the three things that I have to get done today? I still do that. And some of them are big. Yeah. And some of them are, you know, but if I can get those three things done and sometimes I'll have to push it the next day, but it's like just continually making progress. But that's the reason I wanted to have you on today. I've been around a lot of high performing athletes, coaches, and you have that same thing inside of you. That's just like, doggone it. I'm just going to keep going. And you don't come across. And that the, the way the interesting thing about you is you, you balance that with some you're a genuinely fun person to be around. I hope to be. <laughs> some people have this and they can be a total, you know yes, what? Right. And that's not cool. Right. That's very unique. You can still chase excellence and be really good at what you're at and still be a good human being. And totally. so that's why I love calling you my friend. Thanks. Yes. Well, I'm admired by you. I mean, like where you inspire me is more in just like the discipline you have in your health. And <laughs> I'm like, oh my gosh, the things you do. And I mean, again, I could do those things. It's just a matter of like prioritization too, you know, like you just got to figure out what your thing is, but it inspires me. I guess it's, you know, maybe I'm not as passionate about it as I should be, but you know. <laughs> and Kaysen loves to make fun of me about that. <laughs> my mom still brings up the fact that we had dinner or something like that. And it was dessert. And Kaysen was like, no, 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 no. Eric's fine. He had a graham cracker last week. Oh, my, I mean, my favorite story of you was like that when we went to the beach and you were cutting or something, like you were trying to drop some weight and we're walking down to the beach and we're carrying these, um, beach chairs and our snacks, or whatever. We sit down and I sit down and I pull out a beer and then I pull out a bag of Doritos or chips or I don't know what they were. And then I look over Eric, he pulls out a container of boiled chicken <laughs> and you're just eating the chicken on the beach. And I'm like, Okay, that is discipline. Like, I don't <laughs> or know insanity, one of the two. <laughs> well, Ryan, thank you so much for joining me today, man. This was an absolute pleasure. Yeah, dude. Thanks for letting me come. Thanks again for listening to the Blueprint Podcast. And if you were impacted today by Ryan's story, would you please take a picture of the podcast art and share it on Instagram or social media, wherever you consume social media, and tag me and Ryan and let us know what part of the podcast impacted you the most. Thanks again for listening. I'll catch you on the next episode.